This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place the Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. to you. Welcome into the action line from WGNS. We're talking about issues that impact you and we have local attorney John Day with us today. So if you have questions that you need some legal advice on, give us a call. If you have a comment, uh, I know you may have an opinion. Uh, One or two of you occasionally has an opinion on something. Love to hear from you this morning. John, good morning. Good morning, Bart. Good to have you with us today. I'm glad to be here. It's a beautiful morning oh, again yeah. in Middle Tennessee, isn't it? You just can't beat this area. No, I mean, what? this is the area. It's God's area for y- us. You know, I moved here uh, 40 years and six weeks ago mm-hmm. and uh, had been here one time before for a summer working. But other than that, when I moved here, I didn't know a soul. Uh, had no roots here whatsoever, and boy, wasn't I fortunate. You really were. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and we are, too, to have you. I mean, oh. this, this guy is one of the most caring people, and he goes the extra mile to take care of people. Uh, well, thank no you. No matter what. Uh, that's the kindest thing you could say. I appreciate that. Well, I, we do thank you for all that you do. I mean, here's a, a, a local businessman, an entrepreneur, who puts the, the safety of our residents first you're giving out bicycle helmets. You're doing things to encourage safety. You're doing things to encourage families to get together. That's what it's all about. Well, thank you for saying that. I'll tell you, one thing we're really uh, excited about now is we've hooked up with the uh, local fire department uh, for several Saturday mornings and examining the safety of car seats. And so that we use the expertise of the fire department to come and check car seats. People come come in, and and if they need a replacement car seat, uh, the fire department takes care of it. So we're we're honored to work with them to help improve safety. Chief Folks was on the air two or three days ago, bragging about you. By the way, <laughs> thanking you for. And, and as he was talking about that, I'm thinking, we have a granddaughter who's now ten, but it wasn't. Uh, too many years ago that we were putting car seats into our cars as grandparents do to take their grandchildren around and that thing is a bear to to put in properly it is and uh, you know sometimes they're not put in properly but the good news is the fire department's willing to take the time to meet with people and help them do it right and help them if uh, the equipment isn't quite what it should be so god love them for that yeah very definitely one of the things in the news these days and in very much in the minds of everyone is the tragedy down in seaside florida uh the collapse of that building and then having to take down the rest of it uh it uh, you just wonder could that happen here could that happen to somebody i love could it happen to me and i think the answer it could happen. The answer is yes. You know, uh, we put a lot of faith in people who build buildings for us. And um, 
some people think, and this is true, that there are local inspectors, government inspectors that inspect buildings from time to time during the construction process. But the fact of the matter is they're not there every single day. They cannot check everything. They, there's legally, they're not even permitted to check everything. <laughs> there's certain things that they do work on. So we depend on architects, we depend on engineers, we pretend on contractors, we depend on subcontractors to build our offices and homes in a safe way. And what happened uh, with the development down in Surfside, Florida is uh, terrifying to, to many, many people because what you think is safe may not be safe. I mean, And that building couldn't have been that old. I mean, it did not look like an old. 40 years old. Which is not, I don't think, old for a building. It shouldn't be. You know, when you think about it, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to go up to Boston and you see homes that are several hundred years old. Sure. Um, in New York City, there are buildings that are extremely old and they were built appropriately and appropriately maintained. And, you know, there they are today. And quite frankly, right, those are the buildings many people want to live in because they've got a special mm -hmm. character. Sure. So, yeah, it's a... It's a very scary situation what happened. And of course now the investigation is underway. Why did it happen? Could it have been prevented? Who's responsible if, if there were mistakes made? And from a legal standpoint, which is the way I tend to look at things for better or for worse, uh, it is a fascinating set of legal questions, particularly when you start analyzing it under Tennessee law, that is, if that building, <coughs> excuse me, had not been in Surfside, Florida, but instead was in Murfreesboro, how would our law impact the rights of the people that were affected by that collapse? And um, it's a fascinating and, quite frankly, scary subject. Oh, I, yeah. Well, because it's, it's more than somebody just being inconvenienced. You have families that ended. You have children, uh, younger children who may have been depending on some adults for uh, bringing them up properly, sending them to school, what have you, who are now gone. Oh, well, you have, I think there was 140 plus or minus uh, units in that building. That is, by definition, 140 families. If those families consisted of people who had adult children, then there's one, two, three, or more families affected by every single... I mean, it's... It's got a catastrophic consequence to the humans, but what if you lived in the building next door? Oh, what yeah. if you lived in the building down the street? Think of the impact there. Would you buy a condo within a mile of that place right now? Yeah, whatever you bought <laughs> just went down dramatically in value. Right, I mean, there's gonna be a whole lot of different questions asked by condo buyers in the coming weeks and years as a result of this. And would you want to buy in a new condo that was built where that one was? I mean, that would just go through my mind. hundred and something people lost their lives here. Do I want to live on in a new building there? They're still there, many of them. Yeah. Yes. And probably will be. Well, or some who will know. I mean, of. yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is a very... Uh, very serious thing. What the what one thing that 
people probably don't know about lawyers because I don't think people spend a whole lot of time thinking about what lawyers think about, right? <laughs> Thank God. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that you are thinking this way because it's where you're trained to think, and and because most people don't think that way, you can be watchful to help people. Well, that yes, and that's what we're called upon to do. Somebody comes into y- uh, your office. And they have a problem, and your job as a lawyer is to gather information and then help them make the right decisions about what to do next, if anything. So as I read the news about this collapse, I naturally went to the position of, what would I do if somebody came to me and said, John, I lost my grandmother, I lost my husband, I lost my child, can you help me? Mm -hmm. I start going through a checklist of things that I would look at in determining whether I could help. The first of one is, which is, was this building properly designed? Right? So that's a, I don't, I'm not an architect. (laughs) I'm not an engineer. I know absolutely nothing about these subjects. Most lawyers don't. What we do instead is hire experts, architect, engineer, both, to help us understand what the appropriate standards were for building a building in that location when construction started 42 or 43 years ago. So that's one of the great things about what I do is that I get to learn about other people's livelihoods, the kind of work they do, the subjects they're interested in. And today it may be the construction of a building. It may be the design of a building. Tomorrow it may be how a car is manufactured. How does the airbag system work? Two weeks from now, it will be how do you uh, make a, a forklift that's safe? And I get paid to actually do that work. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Fascinating yes. job. Hey, oh, it's a great job. It's you something know. different every day. It's something different every day. Um, and, you know, I, I just lucked into it, quite frankly. But it is fun to get to learn as mm-hmm. a part of your work. And help people and help along people the way. And help people along the way, yes. I mean, with, with tragedies. Well, definitely with tragedies, which, you know, that, that's, there's good and bad in dealing with people who suffer tragedies. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a carrying extra stuff on your back, right, uh, every single day. But the good news is there are many times when we can help people. Maybe, we, maybe there's not even a case there that we can help them with, but we can help them understand what happened. We can help them understand the limitations of the law. For instance, if this collapse had occurred here in Tennessee, no one could have any complaint against the design or construction of this building. And that's because Tennessee law says that those who design or construct a building have no legal responsibility for anything in that building four years after it is built. So if it lasts four years, four years past the cutoff. That is correct. If something happens in the fourth year, a claim can be brought within one year. So theoretically speaking, if something happens on day three 
I mean, on year three, day 365, or 364, you have till year four, day 364. So it can be, it's usually four years, but if an injury happens in the fourth year, it goes up to five years. But, so that means that these people who lost their lives or were hurt in this collapse, if this had happened in Tennessee, would have lost their rights probably before they even bought the condo. Now, is that something our legislators should look at? What What are your thoughts from a lawyer's perspective? Well, this this law was passed in Tennessee in the middle 70s. Everybody's very familiar with it. The odds of that law changing are extremely remote. And I'll tell you why. And I'm this is going to be probably more blunt than I should be. But you know I get that well, way on this show look sometimes. At it that way. And we need to be that. Way. Okay. <clears throat> There is an architects association, there is an engineers association, there is a contractors association. Lobbyists. Lobbyists. They each have I mean, lobbyists. What better, that, that's what they are, period. That, and, and quite frankly, and I've, I've worked for many, many years on Capitol Hill, not so much recently, but I've testified many times in front of the legislature, I've helped draft legislation, I've worked with lots of lobbyists. I think, quite frankly, that lobbyists perform a necessary function to help government work. I really, really do, and most of them are very honorable men and women. But they have a job to do, and their job is to serve their constituents. And if their constituent is architects or engineers or lawyers, whoever it is, that's what they're going to do. There is no future wrongful death victims of America group. Okay. Okay. We've there is well, there is a group, and there's 350 million of us in it, but none of us want to be in it. We don't think about being in it. None of us carry a card in our wallet that says it. None of us pay dues toward it, and we don't have a lobbyist. And there's nobody watching for us. <laughs> there are people who are watching, and there's some there's some other special interest groups who promote. The idea of public safety and, and looking out for things like this, but quite frankly, it's seldom a fair fight because it's hard to get people interested, legislators and others interested in things that might happen, things that could affect, especially when there is an immediate cost connected with preventing those things from happening so unless people think it might impact them right so that's that's why that law in my opinion will not change and quite frankly you know you know being totally candid here there's some good public policy reasons why it exists there is a limit on responsibility which means that you don't have to answer questions about what you did 30 years before now, should that limit be four years or five years or six years or 10 years? Should it be as long as the building is designed to last? Those are legitimate public policy debates. But I'm not offended by the, the notion that there is some sort of cutoff. But the fact of the matter is there is a cutoff. That if this building was built 40 years ago, 
or had been built 40 years ago in Tennessee, those rights would have been cut off 36 years ago. And if we live that way, all of these buildings that are historical buildings uh, in Tennessee, on the Murfreesboro Square, we have hundred and something year old buildings up there. Might as well bulldoze them all down because uh, we need to start. This is promoting starting over. Take down the old, build the new. Well, I don't think that's the intention. Oh, no, not the no. intention. No, but there is. Once again, I don't think people consciously think about the risk of a building falling down unless there's some evidence that it might be falling down. Sure. You just, okay, it's a building. It's made of bricks. What's going to happen? Well, if, if you don't maintain it or if there was something done wrong in the construction, you could have a problem. In the design or the construction or the maintenance. So there's no, there's no cutoff on the maintenance part of it. So there will be... You know, they're going to be looking at the design. They're going to be looking at the construction. Then there'll be issues about the maintenance. Who was doing the maintenance? What was the process for doing it? Was it followed up on? <coughs> um, then, as we know, there was an inspection in 2018 that apparently identified some problems. Was that inspection thorough? Did it properly warn of the problems? That's going to be looked at. Um, and then... What did the condo association know and when did they know it? it, it and right now, it, you know, it, it drives me crazy when other people uh, speak on the media, do what I'm about to do. <laughs> but okay. here I go, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, but I will preface it like they often do not. We don't know the facts. What we have heard, which may or may not be true, is that an inspector created a report that was delivered to the condo association that indicated that there were certain aspects of the building at risk and that they could fail and that some sort of measures were suggested. As I said, we don't know whether they were adequate. We don't know if the inspection was appropriate. We don't exactly know what the condo association did with that. We don't know how much was communicated to the members, the homeowners, or how much of it stayed at the board level. We do know that there was some pushback from homeowners that they didn't want to pay an assessment to fix the problem. And we're looking probably at a big assessment. It was, I, I read, I think my memory on this is correct, for one condo it was $80,000. Just, you'd have to pony up with $80,000. Or you would have to pay it over a period of years uh, at, at an interest rate so that my assumption is the building had some money in reserves because condos usually keep some amount of money in reserves. They probably have borrowing authority to borrow some amount of money, but they had to pay a contractor and that contractor wasn't going to wait until everybody wanted to pay their assessment right so there was some mechanism for funding this I don't know exactly what it was but there was pushback from the homeowners so and, and then just fast forwarding before we get into analyzing it appears that the work was supposed to start about this time and they were going to start the repairs and unfortunately this collapsed How? 
Interesting. Yes, yes. They were starting, so they it took three <laughs> three years. Now, why was that? And the building was deteriorating more and more each day. Probably. Well, Probably. I mean, yeah, it yeah. fell down. Yeah, it did fall down. But was there some other event that contributed it? So if we're in, in, in uh, building in space A, what happens in space B, even space C, maybe space F, depending on the uh, the ground below, could impact saying? what's happening here. That's <laughs> yeah. right. That's right. So what I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows yet, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? But there was something or a combination of things that created this. Is law supposed to find answers to those? I mean, it looks like you can't find some of those answers. Law doesn't find answers. Law is a mechanism for putting accountability behind the answers that are found by others, the experts in this case. And to the extent that there are competing expert views, the law, particularly evidence law, and the jury system weighs who is more likely telling the truth about what were the cause or causes of the incident and who should bear responsibility for it. So the law doesn't know a dang thing about structural engineering. Mm -hmm. The law doesn't know a dang thing about maintenance. The law instead is a system of rules substantive law, that is the law of negligence, the law of comparative fault, and then the law of evidence, what sort of information are we going to permit people to hear and in what format. And those are put together to take outside information from engineers and architects, etc., and make sense of it all in the legal system and assign legal responsibility. Tell you what let's do, let's pause for just a moment because we're, we're getting some interesting thoughts here. Uh, one of the thoughts being, if you're buying something, if you're buying something that's over four years old, you could be in trouble. Is that am I hearing that right? If you are buying a house or building that is more than four years old in Tennessee, and that's where we are. are. Yeah, and that is where it's exactly where we are. That's where this radio program reaches. You have. You are accepting some responsibility if there was a problem with that building in the design or construction of it, yes. Now, if that uh, <laughs> makes you wonder and, and creates some questions in your mind, give us a call or text us, 615-893-1450. Local attorney John Day is our guest this morning. We're looking at the tragedy down in Florida, the condo that collapsed, and what would happen if... That happened in Tennessee with a building here. We're finding some frightening things out. We'll be right back. We got some good neighbors and we like bragging on them. Nominate a good neighbor every day. Put it in writing on WGNS. WGNS. 
AM, AM, FM, FM, online. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. I'm always one of those that goes on and off diets. One of the places I love to eat out the most and still be able to do so and maintain a healthy weight is at Demas's. And you know, at Demas's, one of the things that I started doing because of my own eating habits is, is we have a low calorie menu and a low carb menu. So depending on whatever diet that you like, we have options for you that are available at Demas's. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell at Music World and Drummer's Den, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you're starting a home studio, you need to come to Music World and Drummer's Den. We also have interface for home recording, podcasts. We have USB microphones, all the equipment you need for home recording or podcast. We are your local music store. You need to come see us. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. All that's news with Matt Lane, weekday afternoon. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Rutherford County's place to talk. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. Honoring and remembering those who served in our military, here is today's Salute to Veterans. James Deck, better known as JD, flew a C-130 in Vietnam. We carried the first 25 that had a chance to live that were hurt the worst. One of them passed away on the way over there. We'd go two months in country, but we're stationed in the Philippines. And then we'd come home two months, two months, two months. And in the middle of one of the two months, we had the Santa Domingo crisis. People don't even know we had a Santa Domingo crisis. And it was one of the biggest airlifts ever. And the radio silence all the way down there. We're going to save the people in Santa Domingo. And half of us had paratroopers and half of us had ground troops. And in the middle of the ocean, they said everybody with paratroopers moved back. So we went in and air-landed with the walking troops, and the first airplane popped a hood. pilot got up there, and he became the tower and directed traffic until the Army could go take over the tower. Then we did that for like 10 days. We couldn't tell anybody where we were. Uglier than Vietnam in many cases. Weren't getting shot at so much, but uh, we weren't getting any sleep. One of the times they'd send us out and said, go to such and such a frequency, and they wouldn't talk to us. We tried to get back. They wouldn't talk to us. took us forever to figure out what happened. They launched us right through the middle of a Canaveral launch. No airliners could come in where we were, so it was quite an experience. This has been a Salute to Veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran owned. We'll see a few scattered showers and thunderstorms at times this afternoon with cloudy skies high in the upper 80s. Southwest winds are on 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 73. Good morning. We still see lots of radar out here this morning. Give yourself plenty of extra travel time. Slow it down. It's moving right now on 24 coming out of Coffee County as you make your way in and through Rutherford County. Traffic still on the increase here, 24 up through the Hickory Hollow area. Hey, Gatlinburg Wine Cellar is home of the world-famous cotton candy wine. Check them out at GatlinburgWineCellar.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on-time traffic. 
Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at wgnsradio.com. Welcome back, and I want to say happy birthday to Tanya Stem. Tanya won that delicious banana pudding this morning from the Slick Pig Barbecue. Happy birthday, Tanya Stem. Also, our good neighbor of the day is Bob Jamison. Bob Jamison, he receives flowers from Jenny and the family over there at Ryan's Flowers, Coffee, and Gifts. Bob Jamison. By the way, if you have a good neighbor, let us know who they are. Send us their name, address, and phone number, and tell us why they should be the good neighbor of the day. We're talking about something fascinating today, and a lot of you have thought, well, maybe this could not impact me. We're learning differently. Uh, It may not be collapsing sand or water in the ground under us that causes something to collapse. Could be... uh, should I use the word sinkhole? <laughs> have you heard about sinkholes? Do we have any of those? They swallow buildings and houses too. Uh, think of, look at those Corvette. If you love Corvettes, uh, the, the Corvette Museum. Right. It wasn't too long ago that that happened. An opening also on uh, I-40, just beyond the Rutherford County line over in Coffee County a few years ago opened up. A car almost, uh, it opened up almost as a car went into it. Uh, But thank goodness for them, it did not go into it. So these things are happening all around us that can damage buildings unexpectedly. Yes, and and that's why, and the good news is, you know, uh, architects, engineers, contractors are trained to and, and often, and I'll go so far as to say usually take all that into account in designing and constructing buildings. The problem is when they don't, and uh, or if they don't do uh, the best job, then um, in Tennessee, four years after those buildings are, book, are, are built, they have no further responsibility for what happens. And then you, as the homeowner, as the building owner, are basically on your own. That risk is on you and on your insurance company. Right. And that's one thing that I've seen. And sometimes they don't want to do it either. (laughs) Well, I've seen I've seen that nobody talk about this, but a huge claim. So we have a 150 plus or minus lives lost in Florida. But think of the loss to the insurance companies who insured those units in that building. Those units sold for about three hundred and seventy five dollars a square foot. Okay, 375 a square foot. Doing some rough math, I calculate the value of that building at close to a billion dollars. And insurance companies are on. They're on the hook. uh, They've got to pay the property owners back for their losses, both the real property loss, that is the loss of the structure, the unit, as it were, plus the contents to the extent those are gone. And each of those insurance companies have a claim against the people responsible for it. So 
they're going to be standing there saying, we get to be paid too. Yes, you, all you families who lost loved ones, all you people who were injured, you have a claim. But we've got, I'm going to estimate, a billion dollars worth of losses ourselves. We want to get paid. Do you know how much insurance the Homeowners Association Board has? I'm afraid to think. It's either 42 or 48 million. The exact number escapes me. Less than five cents on the dollar of the property loss claim alone, plus the human life. And and you couldn't be prepared for something like this. I mean, you, you can't imagine something like this happening. No. I mean... We, we think, and, and, I, and I don't know if this is good or bad, right? Because sometimes ignorance is bliss. It is nice to skate through life and not have to worry. But now the people who lived in that building and all of their loved ones and all of their friends and the people who live in similarly situated buildings are looking at other buildings and saying, can that happen here? Am at the middle of the night, is half of my building going to fall off? Am I going to be able to get out? Can I sell this thing right now? And Probably yes, not. <laughs> there are people who are worrying about things they didn't worry about two and a half weeks ago. Is there a way, and I'm just trying to think my way through this, is there a way that legislation could be created for future? We can't do anything that on something that's happened, but in the future, that would protect both the person who's buying the property and those who built it if you could prove that there was nothing done purposefully. Nothing was left out in order to save money or to save time or whatever they're trying to save. It was just, there's some things that are acts of nature. I mean, shifting sands, uh, sinkholes, Earthquakes, floods, those, you can't prepare for those. I don't think you can. Well, yeah. Well, as, a matter you? Of you can, yeah as a matter of fact, you can prepare you can. Okay. for those. Okay. Uh, yes. And, and once again, I'm not an engineer. Right? No, okay. But when you look around the world, there are buildings on every sandy coastline. <laughs> You're right. You're and right. There are buildings along every major river. And there are built. I mean, that's that's where the building started, right? I mean, water transportation. There is a way to do it appropriately, I believe. I'm going to guess, other things being equal, it is more expensive to build on sand than it is on limestone. <laughs> but if you're in Florida, you have no choice. If you want to have beachfront property, you're going to have to. Or in Memphis, too. Or, or in, yes, they've got. Sand there. Other issues there. That is exactly correct. So that's, that's one of the policy arguments in favor of get letting architects, engineers, and contractors off the hook in four years. You know, some things, things just happened. Well, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that policy reason for the four-year cutoff because buildings aren't built for four years or five years or six years or ten years. <laughs> They're built for a much longer period of time than that in the ordinary course. It seems to me there should be accountability for a longer period of time. But we're going to be having that debate. In terms of what can the law do 
going forward to reduce the risk of this happening, you're bringing up a, a nasty little word. I can't believe you're doing it, Bart. It's called regulation. <laughs> Sometimes that's good. Well, that's... I mean, because people are known to try to snooker the other guy by saving money, cutting corners, and just keeping quiet. That is, that is exactly right. So the question is... And in, in, once again, here I go again, but in, in the United States, we tend to legislate by body count, okay? It's only when a certain number of people die, particularly if they all die at once, do we start to pay particular attention to problems. Why is that? We don't, we don't fix, fix bridges until it almost collapses and somebody dies. We don't stop speeding cars from homes, uh, neighborhood streets until they hit a child. Why do we wait until then? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm putting that but, out for the public no, to think about. Well, yes, it is a, a it is an interesting question. I don't pretend to know the answer. I have my opinion, which is worth no more or no less than any opinion of, from any listener. Okay. Right. Okay. Here's my opinion. We choose to ignore the occasional tragedy that occurs to other people outside of our circle, thinking that it is just an occasional tragedy and it will never happen to us or someone we love. And it is only when the tragedy is so massive or it gets within our circle that we pay more attention to it. Mm -hmm. So as the, as the, the, the tragedy size increases, not in little units of one or two, but massive events, people pay more attention because it gets closer to home. That's what I think. Now, is this a big enough tragedy for the Florida legislature to say, okay, we've got a local ordinance here that requires buildings to be inspected every 40 years? Should we inspect them every 20 instead? The legislature is going to have to, you know, should we get rid of all local ordinances that address this issue and say 40 years or 50 years or no inspections at all? Or should we, and should we have a statewide standard for coastal properties or within three miles of the coast or where the soil substructure is, whatever it is, however you would define it, and inquire, require an inspection every 20 years? There's going to be a lot of give and take. Building owners are going to say, may say, why should I have to pay for that inspection? Why should, why, that's just something the, con, the inspectors want because they're going to get money out of it. <laughs> right? You're right. Yeah, it's going to cost me more money. And, 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 and people are going to say, who own the condos, well, if we have to pay for an inspection, that's going to impact what we have to pay in assessments or condo dues. Why should we have to do that? There's only been one building in the last 30 years that has collapsed, or whatever the facts are. And you, you go back and forth, and then people will say, well, we can't have the government regulating everything. And so we have the, the same debate using different terms than we ordinarily use. But there will be, I expect, um, a close, a look, whether it's close or not, 
remains to be seen at the Florida legislature to determine whether these buildings need to be inspected uh, more carefully, <clears throat> whether there needs to be a different set of standards for building buildings when they're first built uh, to try to reduce this, uh, the chance of this happening or more frequent inspections or whatever it happens to be because the tragedy is big enough that people are going to take a closer look at it. Our phone number, 615-893-1450. A text from a listener says, will the collapse of the condo in Florida cause Tennessee's legislators to rethink that law about four years? I, I think that highly unlikely. So yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, for the reason that I mentioned earlier, that there is... Uh, a strong lobbying presence on the part of people who benefit from that law and there's not a lobbying presence on the path of people who might be affected by it someday. What can we do or is there anything we can do from from what you're describing between the homeowners association, the people who built the building and other people involved, everybody and I guess this happens on all of these situations. Everybody looks back and says, wait a minute, it wasn't me. It was that group, that group over there. They're the ones, and that group over there says, no, it wasn't me. It was that group. And so you have a big circle of pointing fingers, and not a whole lot happens. Well, and in Tennessee, it's worse than that. And I'm glad you brought this up. Great way to get to the end of our program here. In Tennessee, let's assume, okay, let's assume that mistakes were made in the design or the construction, but no, no lawsuit can be filed against those people because the four years has passed since the building was substantially complete. Let's say that the inspector who identified the problem three years ago did exactly what he or she was supposed to do and told them of the uh, properly identified the problems and gave the appropriate warning but the only person at fault was the homeowners association for fair to take reasonable action in response to it and not educating the homeowners on the severity of the risk let's just assume that's what happened the homeowners association could under tennessee law could blame the original contractor who made a mistake and the original designer who made a mistake and ask that fault legal responsibility be assigned to them even though the victims the dead the injured the uh, insurance companies uh, couldn't sue them so in Tennessee you a, a wrongdoer or an alleged wrongdoer can ask that fault be assigned to people who the injured and dead people can't sue. So you basically have an empty chair in the courtroom and the and the one of the at fault parties can point at that empty chair and says it's their that person's fault and if they can prove that that affects the ability of the injured and the dead to recover money. What happens if they catch the problem before 4 years? Then they can be then they then fault can be assigned against them. Yes, but that's the problem with buildings, right? It's we have in my household what we call the frying pan syndrome. Uh, 
And I'm going to bet that I can go into your house right now, Bart, and find a frying pan that is disgusting. <laughs> you okay. probably could. <laughs> okay. It's just disgusting because you've used it for five or ten years. Yeah. It still works just fine, but it's got all these stains on it. And oh, despite yeah. the fact that you, you've been in my kitchen, it's, it's, you, you'd see it in my kitchen, but I hope my wife isn't listening. But but the reason that happens is because it's gradual. Yeah. It's not all at once. It's a daily day breakdown of the appearance of that pan. Same thing happens with buildings. It doesn't, it can, but it usually is a gradual deterioration. And it may not have been readily apparent in four years. It may not have been, because, right? Stuff is covered up. By definition, when you're building things, other things, things within, things below, are covered up. So the gradual deterioration is something that may not be seen within that four-year period. The and scary thing is a person who has this pointed out before the four years People are sometimes creatures of habit. They get into the habit of doing things sloppily. They get into the habit of taking shortcuts, which may have been discovered before four years, may have damaged somebody severely. What about all those other places that that person has also built that are over four years old? You prove they've done wrong on this one probably may have done, maybe have done wrong on somebody else's. Can you prove anything? Or if you prove something, are those other people just left out because, because they are past the four years in Tennessee? If, if the person is injured or, die, or dies as a result, there's that four-year cutoff. Yes, it's just gone. Whether there is some sort of breach of contract claim uh, depends on the paperwork uh, in used in conjunction with the uh, construction itself. Okay, interesting things. It sounds like there may be a need for people to get in touch with legislators if you're so moved to do that. Uh, sounds like there there could be some some questions that people may have. Yeah, I, I, I think that it is important for people to pay attention to this story, what's happening in Florida, and try to understand that when you're, there, there are many people from Middle Tennessee who move to Florida in retirement. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, not tens of thousands, but many people who go down. If I was going to buy a condo in Florida right now, uh, I would ask for a copy of all homeowners association minutes <laughs> for the last five years. I would want to ask for any inspection reports on the building. I would want to know not necessarily what the condo owner knows. I would want to know what the homeowners association and any property management company knows about the state of affairs in that building. Uh, so that's one thing that people can take away from this. If you're fortunate enough to be looking at, or your parents or friends are looking at a retirement community uh, down in Florida, geez, maybe it would look good to look behind the curtain and see what the people in charge actually know about the structure. 
So if you have questions or if you are concerned about your property, can they uh, get in touch with someone at your office? Well, people could could call me, but quite frankly, as I said at the beginning, I'm not a contractor. I'm not an engineer. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't have any particular knowledge in any of these subjects. I'm just a plain old lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I think if people have concerns about their own property, it would make sense to have somebody who's qualified take a look at it. I just hired a structural engineer to take a look at my house. I saw some cracks that I was concerned about, and I brought somebody out to take a look and make sure that there wasn't something happening on my property that I needed to address. Now, I got a clean bill of health. I sleep easier as a result of that. I would encourage anybody who's got similar concerns to do the same thing. Great show today, by the way. Well, this was you. fascinating. Uh, and I, I think something that's very timely and people needed to know about it. John Day, local attorney, visiting with us this morning, uh, talking about something obviously that's very much in the news. And uh, it seems like we may be sort of vulnerable uh, here in the volunteer state for that. <laughs> thank you, Bart. Have a wonderful weekend. John, thank you again. If you uh, have questions for John or if you would like to learn more about his practice, give them a call. What's a, a good phone number? 615-867-9900. Uh, John Day visiting with us today from John Day's Attorneys. Hey, have a super day. Truman is next on your Good Neighbor Station.